Father, we just come to you tonight to worship you uh, through reading your word and to, uh, that we can grow closer to you, Lord. And uh, we just pray that this place would be filled with your Holy Spirit and that, uh, Lord, that you would teach us uh, everything that we need to know tonight, Lord. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in chapter 36, uh, Genesis chapter 36. And we're going to try to go through 36 and 37 tonight. Uh, 36 is actually the genealogy of uh, Esau. And there's a sort of a pattern in the Bible with uh, genealogies uh, where uh, when Moses is writing uh, in the Old Testament, he'll give the line of the, of the, of the, that, that doesn't go to, Jesus. In other words, we have uh, these uh, two brothers, uh, uh, Isaac. I mean, Isaac and uh, Ishmael. And when we did Isaac and Ishmael, uh, he gave Ishmael first, then he did Isaac's line, and then he traveled on. And so now we've gotten to uh, Jacob and Esau. And so he's getting ready to go through the line of Jacob and Esau. So he gives uh, Esau first, and. so that's just kind of the pattern that it follows. And so uh, tonight uh, we're going to do Esau. And so number one, the purpose of the Old Testament genealogies is to document the line of Jesus, the road to redemption. So that's the whole purpose uh, that they should, they could, God makes these promises. They keep track of all the genealogies and then uh, you can go back and follow it out and see that everything that God has said uh, has happened the way he said it would. So in uh, Esau's genealogy, it's kind of broken down into two parts. Uh, It starts with his wives and children uh, that he had while he lived in Canaan. And then the second part is the wives and children that he had uh, while he lived in Seir. So uh, starting at verse 1, it says... uh, uh, now, this is the genealogy of Esau, who is uh, Edom. So, Esau, who is uh, Edom. Uh, the, as we go through this chapter, you're going to see Edom or Edomites. It's repeated uh, many times in this chapter. And it's actually important because uh, in the future, uh, Edom is going to become enri- enemies of Israel. And I think God keeps repeating it over and over again because he wants us to know that uh, the Edomites were descendants of Esau. So verse 2, it says, Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan, uh, Ada, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. So uh, uh, Ada, the actual uh, name means an ornament. So maybe she was a trophy wife. I'm not sure. Uh, But, uh, you know, yeah, it's just, that's the thing that came to my mind when I read that. But anyway, the name actually dates back to the pre-flood uh, times. And um, uh, Ada was the name of uh, Lamech's first wife. Now, there's a few Lamechs back there in the, in that, in the pre-flood days. But Lamech was the guy that descended directly from Cain. This is the one we're talking about here. And uh, Lamech was the first guy to actually have two wives. It's recorded in the Bible, too. And um, so, uh, 
you remember Cain, right? Cain and Abel. Yeah, so uh, Cain committed the first recorded murder uh, when he killed his brother Abel. Uh, the thing about Lamech is he kind of boasted about being really more wicked than Cain even. So uh, the thought of naming your uh, daughter after the wife of somebody like that. So if you're living in Isaac's house, uh, uh, it was just totally, it was a horrible thing to do. It would be like now if you had a son, you named him uh, uh, Charlie Manson or something like that. It was the, the equivalent of that. And so if you remember back when they found out that uh, that Esau had went and married these Hittite women, that they were upset over it. And that's probably one of the reasons why. There's a pretty good chance that too they, they actually had her change the name too uh, from from that to Judith. So uh continuing on in verse two, uh Aholabama, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion the Hivite, uh uh means uh, the tent of the of the high place. And uh most people kind of look at that and they think that maybe she may have been a, a temple uh, priestess, uh, and uh, this here could a temple priestess in those days. It was a uh, well, they were doing more than burning incense and stuff like that. So we we'll just leave it at that. Um, so, um, and I I think this is probably another reason why in, in Genesis twenty six where it it talks about him going off and marrying these uh, two Hittite women women that. Uh, what does it say? The the grief of mine to Isaac and Rebecca. You know that's this definitely contributed to that. Uh, it's interesting about her too, is she was kind of politically connected. Uh, her father was one of the chieftains in Seir, where eventually they ended up moving to. Uh, uh, Seir was actually the the area of Seir, Seir was going to become what we call. Uh, uh, eat them now. So, um, verse three. We're gonna we're gonna get a little more into that in a little bit here. But in verse three, it says, "In base mouth, uh, Ishmael's daughter, uh, sister of Nabo, Nabojoth." Yeah. And now Ada bore Eliphaz to Esau, and base mouth bore Ruel, and Alabama bore Jesus, Jalam, and Korah. Uh, these were the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. So in the, this next section, we're going to actually see something that's going to really remind us of uh, Abraham and Lot. Uh, during the years that Jake was off living with his uncle Laban, uh, meanwhile, Esau's back in the land here, and he's done uh, quite quite well for himself. Uh, so we're going to see Esau, he's got so much livestock that he had to move. And, and I think to the fact that Jacob was back in the land that he realized that God had given this land to Jacob. And so it's probably time for him to move. So in verse six, it says, then Esau, excuse me, took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the persons of his household, his cattle, and all of his animals and all of his goods, which he had gained in the land of Canaan. And he went to 
went to a country away from the presence of his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great uh, for them to dwell together, and the land uh, where, excuse me, and the land where they were strangers could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau dwelt in Mount Seir, and it says Esau is Edom. So uh, I think we've talked about this before. Uh, Navy ships captain, the captain, they refer to him as the name of the ship because he's totally responsible for the whole thing. So it's the same thing here. When they say Esau is Edom, uh, it's basically it means the same thing. So Esau, uh, so Esau dwelt in Mount, Mount Seir, and it's actually a mountain range that's south of the Dead Sea. And if you've heard of the city of Petra, but it's located in uh, Mount Seir. Actually, they, it's kind of a generic name. They say Mount Seir, but it's actually a, a, a bunch of connected mountains. They're all referred to Mount Seir. And it's an interesting place because... Um, if if you hold that area, you actually control all the trade routes that would go east to west and from north to south. So uh, I I looked in this. It made me want to go visit the place. But you can see up there that Edom, just south of the Dead Sea there, that's the kingdom of uh, Edom. And then you see the star where it says Petra. Uh, this would be like the main city in Petra, and it was a it was really a, a virtual fortress uh, because of the geography of the place. And so I just went on the internet, took a few um, pictures. So if you're above it, it's actually uh, a deep valley where Petra was at, but on the sides of it uh, were very steep, sheer rock. Uh, formations and you you can't really appreciate it from here but when we get here you can see this here this is there's a basically a crack in the sides of the mountains uh, that where you could walk through to get to the city of Petra and so you can see those guys there they're pretty small and, uh, and here's a this is a little farther into the actual crack there and this, you'd walk through this crack in order to get to uh, the city of Petra. And if you look at right up here, um, this area right here, I think this might have been put in by the Romans, I'm not sure. But that's actually an aqueduct where they would run water uh, into the city uh, in those troughs there on either side of that that crack there. It's a pretty amazing city. They And I'm try, trying to just show you the stuff that, would have been there during this time period. I think when the Romans got in, they made a lot of improvements. But here again, here's that same crack. And then now you can see they were they lived in the caves. So uh, you can obviously see some caves in the side of the of that rock there. And here's another one that's even better. But it, so you can see as a military place, you know, if somebody tried to come in. So what they would do is they would extort money from people uh, that were coming there to trade, or they would steal from them. Plus, they would mine iron and stuff out of these rocks. So it was a pretty significant place uh, to uh, to to be to have a 
uh, you know, a city. And so this is the area that this would have been uh, Esau's capital city, I guess, if you'd want to say it like that. Well, no, I'm going to show you here. I'm going to get a Google shot. I'm going to show you in action. So here's some more. And here again, what I'm trying to show is the the oldest stuff. I mean, when the Romans came in, they carved just beautiful things into the sides of the rocks. Uh, I mean, I, I could have probably spent a half hour showing you pictures of Petra, but so that's the end of the slides. But uh, let me. Uh, Let me put this up there, and I can. So you have to understand what you're looking at here. Now that crack we were looking at, that's coming right through here. Now when you look at this, uh, let me back out a little bit. See how high these rock cliffs are here, because of the angle, the way that when this picture was taken from the satellite, it looks like this is a lot shorter. But no, it's because you're right above it. If you were looking from this area over to here, this one would be just as high. So this is a real deep valley inside of the, the side of these rock formations here. And so you're actually going, it was actually downhill from here as you went through, as you went through this area here. It was downhill because they could flow water uh, into those troughs. And actually, if they had a flash flood out in here, that was a problem they had with these uh, this this crack getting flooded uh, with water. So you wouldn't want to be there during a flash flood. But you can see uh, from a strategic standpoint, it was a, a pretty amazing place uh, to live. So. Yes. Yeah, it was right in the middle of that. Yeah. It was right in the middle of it, so, yeah. So anyway, uh, so number two, Esau is Edom. And then starting off in verse 9, you notice that it gets repeated in here quite a few times. It says, and this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. So when he picked up his stuff and he moved uh, from Canaan, remember that's what we would call modern, modern day Israel because Israel actually took over the land of Canaan. So, uh, so it says, uh, Esau the father Edomites in Mount Seir. Uh, these are the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Ada, the son, the wife of Ephah, Ruah, the son of Basemoth, the wife of Esau, and the sons of Eliphaz were Teman, uh, Omar, uh, Zepho, uh, Getam and Kenaz. Now Timna was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek to Ephaz. And these were the sons of Ada, Ada, Esau's wife. So I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to read every verse in uh, chapter 36 because the vast majority of it is just... Uh, uh, you know, probably one of the most difficult uh, uh, courses of uh, pronunciation you're going to find in the Bible. And there are people that it's what it's doing is it's establishing uh, Esau's uh, kingdom or his empire that he had built there. Uh, but I did want to talk about this guy, 
uh, Amalek. Okay, so if you look on your sheets there, it shows that uh, uh, Exodus 17, starting at verse 8, but uh, number three, uh, the if you're filling in the blanks, it's Amalek and his descendants, the Amalekites, were enemies of Israel. Okay? So, and it's, and so I want you to just read what's happening here. Now, this is from Exodus, so we're moving forward about 400 years now. And uh, so we're a little ahead of ourselves. But just to give you an idea of how the Amalekites fit into the picture overall, it says now, starting at verse 8, Exodus 17, verse 8, it says now, Amalek uh, came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. But when he let his hand that down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and on the other one and on the other side. Uh, his hands were steady until going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people uh, with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord Moses said, Write this as a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner, for he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And so, here again, this is when they're coming out, uh, when the Israelites, if they went down to Egypt and they've come out. And then in Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, uh, uh, Moses writes in Deuteronomy twenty-five seventeen. he says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way out of Egypt, uh, how he met you, uh, on the way and attacked your rear ranks and the stragglers at your rear uh, when you retired and weary, and he did not fear God. Uh, therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord is giving you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. So, you got to understand that the Malachites were part of uh, this Edom, okay? This area that Esau took over. And if you get if you can imagine, if there was the United States of of Edom, and one of the states in there was the Amalekites, okay? So it's that's kind of how it's working. So, and then after the Exodus, right? So in the whole timeline of the Bible, the the way it works is. Uh, from where we're at right now, Jacob and uh, his sons are eventually going to go into Egypt, and we'll see that here in Genesis. And then when they come out, okay, uh, that's what they call the Exodus. And then when they get done with the Exodus, there, there's the time of the judges, okay? And then after the time of the judges is 
when Israel wants to have a king, okay? And so when they get their first king, King Saul, uh, God comes to King Saul and he tells them to completely destroy the Amalekites. So these are some bad people, all right? They're not on God's good side at all. And so God tells uh, Saul, hey, I want you to go wipe these guys out, utterly destroy them. So Saul gets like 200,000 men, right? And he goes and he marches against uh, uh, Amalek, and they go into battle, and he kills a whole bunch of people, but he spares the king, and he takes some of their good cattle and stuff, and he, and he, and he brings it back with him. And so God tells Samuel, hey, you know, you need to go talk to Saul because he didn't do what I told him to do. And because of that, because he did not destroy, completely destroy them, that was the end of Saul's uh, tenure as the king of Israel. That was the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, eventually there's a little tussle that happens between Saul and David. But this was the thing that caused him. It was the Amalekites. Uh, so there are some bad people that lived in Edom. So um, verses, and so I wrote First Samuel chapter 15, if you want to read that. That's actually a pretty good read, but I figured we wouldn't have time to get through that. So if you, uh, if you want to read an interesting chapter, it's kind of nice. Uh, you, you can get some insight about who God is concerning uh, uh, sacrifice or tithing type of thing. There's some good stuff there. So verses 15 through 19, what they do is they document the chiefs, or some versions of the Bible call them the dukes of Edom. So in in verse 19, though I'm just going to jump to verse 19, it says, these were the sons of Esau, who is Edom. Okay, throughout this chapter, the Holy Spirit that inspired this to be written keeps reminding us These were the sons of Esau, who is Edom. And these were their chiefs. So we're being reminded in 19 that Esau is Edom. In verses 30 through uh, 20 through 30, that lists the sons of Seir, uh, the Horites in the land of Edom. Okay, those were the people that were native uh, to the, uh, the region. And uh, Horite is actually derived from the word hole because they lived in caves. So they lived in the holes in the side. We saw them here in the, in the pictures, and that's where they lived. And so they, they were called the Horites. But, but I do want to go to read verses 24 and uh, 25. Uh, they're significant because it tells us how uh, uh, Bama, the daughter of Ana became an important political player uh, in Mount Seir. So let's read verse 24. Um, uh, it says, where we go? Oh, there it is. Uh, These were the sons of Zibion, both Aja and Anna. Uh, this was the Anna who found water in the wilderness. He pastured the donkeys of his father Zibion. These were the children of Anna, Dishan, uh, Alabama, and the the daughter of uh, Anna. So uh, her father found water, which is a huge deal, because you're basically you saw the terrain there around Petra; it's pretty bleak, and so he found uh, 
he found water and uh, he, he was so proud that he found water he bragged about it and he even changed his name to uh Barry which means my well okay i mean that's where the guy was at and uh when you look at when they named uh, earlier in genesis where it gives the names of uh, Esau's wife they use his new name there that he got but so this guy changed his name just based on the fact that he found that well. And he kind of used that to his political advantage. Barry, B-E, like bear, like beer with an I on the end of it. Yeah. So, uh, verses 31 through 39, they just list all the kings of Edom. And verses uh, 40 through 43, I mean, if you guys really are interested in that, you can read that tonight. But it would just, I might have people falling out of their chairs if I read that right now. Um, it says, uh, verses, yeah, they list the king and and which Esau's favorite wife, uh, Ali Obama is listed. So his wife was actually uh, one of the chiefs. So I'm going to just jump down to the, the last, this, the last sentence in verse 43. And it says, these were the chiefs of Eden according to their dwelling places in the land of their possession. And what does it say next? Esau was the father of the Edomites. So I think there's, the teacher's trying to tell us something here, that Esau is Edom. So um, so that's pretty much the end of uh, chapter, what well, is the end of chapter 36. But, you know, Esau's mentioned many places in the Bible, but for all practical purposes, uh, the story of Esau is over. Uh, but I want to just review his life just a little bit. Uh, uh, he was, uh, he definitely prospered, at least from the world's perspective. I mean, uh, you know, we've seen in the chapter, definitely Esau is Edom. I mean, it's quite an accomplishment. If you, you know, on the map, you saw the map up there. I mean, the guy was, uh, basically the king over a large area. Uh, yeah, but he, he had fulfilled what God had told Rachel when she was concerned about her pregnancy. Remember way back when they, they couldn't get pregnant, and then so they prayed and they prayed, and so finally she got pregnant, and uh, Rachel's, hey, some, something's not right here, you know, and so she goes and she prays and she asks God what's, what's up, and so in Genesis 25, verse 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two people shall be separated from your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the other. So number four, God had promised Esau would be his own nation uh, even before he was born. So this is God fulfilling his promises. But we can see that uh, God's foreknowledge was in play here, that the older shall serve the younger. Uh, I think 
I think his character kind of plays into it. And in Genesis 25, starting at verse 29, here again, this is, we're going to talk a little bit about Esau's character. So this is a perfect spot. In verse 29, Genesis 25, verse 29, it says, Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau uh, came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me uh, with that same red stew, for I'm weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. Edom means red. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright uh, of this day, as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die, so what's this birthright to me? Uh, then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau the stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went, this, went his way. Uh, thus Esau despised his birthright. So number five, Esau despised his birthright. So let's just kind of look at that scene that just happened there when Jacob offers to buy the birthright. Uh, Esau was really kind of all about instant gratification. I mean, the only thing could have been better if he was at a drive-through at a fast food restaurant. Um, he, you know, he wasn't really concerned with his birthright. He was—he uh, was a legend in his own mind. You see what I'm saying? He was the great hunter. He was convinced he could provide for himself. Uh, he didn't need the double inheritance. Uh, he didn't want to be the spiritual leader of his family. And so, uh, number six, Esau could care less about God. This is kind of where Esau is starting to look a lot like the world. Um, so now, approximately 30 years later, it kind of looks like Esau was right. You know what I mean? He didn't really need all that stuff. If you look at what we just read, this guy's got a, his own kingdom now. He's got all these dukes and chieftains or, you know, all this stuff going down. And so, number seven, from the world's point of view, Esau was a self-made man. You think about it, he had many wives. He had children, grandchildren. He had herds. He had flocks. He had his own country. Pretty impressive by the world standards. Number eight, in God's economy, Esau was bankrupt. We saw earlier God's plan to destroy the Amalekites. Okay, so we see the, I mean, we see the immediate what he gets, but as the whole thing starts to play out, the whole, all of this stuff starts to crumble. We can even see it. God has a plan to destroy the Amalekites. Uh, we know that the Amalekites were just part of Edom. Uh, and the part I think is probably the most interesting is that God dedicated a whole book, the book of Obadiah, that documents the destruction of Edom. I mean, so... Uh, so, in Esau's immediate stuff, he had all kinds of stuff. But when you play it all out, uh, it, it really kind of all burned up. It says, um, so it's, you know, and I'd say coming to us, uh, 
a lot of times, you know, there's the Esau around us, the guy that's, you know, kind of doesn't have anything to do with God, prospers, makes a lot of money, uh, you know, and you could, you know, it's, it's almost you could kind of look at, you have Esau here with all this stuff, and you have Jacob who is in the line that leads to Jesus, right? And if you compare the two at this point in time, I mean, by our world standards, Esau is looking pretty good. Jacob, not so much. And it could appear that evil is prevailing. So, and number nine, uh, God looks at things from an eternal perspective. Okay? And so, Psalm 46, starting at verse 10, this is a good one here because when you're in that situation to where, you know, it looks like uh, evil is winning out, number one, you can bring to mind is what actually happened to all this stuff that Esau had accumulated and done inside the world system. But in Psalm 46, starting verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Okay? So here again, God has this eternal perspective, right? He's saying, be still, know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Okay? When it all plays out, we're talking, when this is all, this thing that we have right here is over, God is going to be exalted in the earth. And then verse 11, it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Okay? So um, that's pretty much it for... um, um, Yeah, I know. That's pretty much it for chapter 36. I'm debating whether to go on to 37 right now. Because we're gonna, we're definitely not gonna get through thirty-seven. We'll take a start on it. So Jacob, verse uh, chapter thirty-seven, verse one. It says, "Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan." So you know, here again, after thirty years, are quite a contrast because between Esau and Jacob, right? Esau's got all this stuff, and Jacob's really kind of getting started in his life with God. Uh, He's still a stranger in the land that God had promised. So after 30 years, Jacob is a stranger in the land that God promised. In verse 2, this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with uh, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, uh, to his father. So he's out in the fields. He's working with his brothers. And um, they're doing something out there. I don't know what they're doing. It doesn't really say. Uh, they they could have been stealing from him. Who knows? Uh, there's no way to know. But, you know, I can imagine in the fi- family dynamic, it's probably not a way to make your brothers your best friend is to be out working with them. And they're doing something and you go tell dad, you know. Uh, the flip side of that, the flip side of that is, is that 
you know, if they're doing something wrong and Joseph, he had the guts to say, hey, man, this is not right, you know, whatever the situation was, and he went and told his dad. So who knows? It's hard to figure out. People speculate one way or the other, but uh, definitely I could see where it could cause problems in the family. So verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because his son of his old age, because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father had loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So, you know, so, oh, dad likes you best. Remember this mother's brothers. Uh, yeah, or his mom likes you best, I think. There. But, yeah, it was seriously a, a problem, you know. And it's really a mistake for Jacob to show favoritism. You know, he's given Joseph this, you know, flashy tunic. I mean, they're all shepherds, right? I mean, that's what their job was. They're tending the, the flocks and the herds and all that stuff. And he's like out there in a three-piece suit. You know? So uh, it was uh, not a good thing. Uh, probably everybody in the family knew by this time that Rachel was, you know, uh, Jacob's favorite wife, and and Joseph was the firstborn of the favorite wife. And so I think overall it's probably not a good idea to, to show favoritism within the family. So number 11, favoritism causes, causes problems in the family. I think I must stop there. Uh, Joseph, it goes on to Joseph has these dreams. Uh, they're pretty phenomenal dreams, but I think we're going to save that for next week. And uh, let's pray. Father, we just, uh, again, we thank you for who you are. And Lord, we just thank you that we have the Bible where we can get perspective on uh, the things of the world that Esau uh, represents. And Lord, we see a lot of things in the world, people prospering all around us. And Lord, uh, we know that your game is a long game. It's uh, it's in eternity. And Father, we just thank you that because of Jesus that we are guaranteed eternity with you. And we just, Lord, I just pray that we would uh, uh, go out this week and open our mouths and just let other people know. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.